Uh, for those of you who don't know, I am Tara, and this is the God Talk podcast, um, or God Talk the podcast, I suppose is the way I've been writing that. Um, we're going to begin with prayer, and I'm going to ask the Lord to forgive me in that, as I am running a little behind tonight. Um, I guess that's one of the benefits of not doing this live just yet. <laughs> Anyhow, please join me. Lord God, thank you for this day and thank you for your word. Thank you for wonderful and amazing insights and your people. Thank you for the invitation to come each night and to listen for you, Father. I pray that your spirit would come into this space right now, that he would go before me to the people who will hear this and that he would Open their minds and their eyes and their heart to the revelation that you desire for them to hear tonight. I pray, Father God, that your spirit would come here and dwell within me and open my ears to your words and open my mouth to speak what you would have me say. I pray that you would make me small, Father God, that you would take me out of the way and that you instead would fill me with the presence of your very self, of your spirit and of Christ, and that the words that come from my mouth, Lord God, would be yours and not mine. I thank you, Father, for the promise that you are with us when we ask. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight has been an interesting night, and I will say right now that Tomorrow, I will not be here. Sundays are going to be a day off um, from doing this. So I will be picking back up on Monday night with whatever God has for me that day. But tonight, um, I want to talk about politics, kind of, which is interesting. I don't do that very much anymore. Um, but I was on a call earlier this week with JD and the Seedbed Farm team um, that they do on the fifth Monday of months that have fifth Mondays. And JD made the comment that Jesus is always political, but never partisan. And that really resonated a lot with um, One of the things that I had learned in one of my early apologetics classes from uh, N.T. Wright, who, if you've never heard of him, he is an Anglican bishop and a New Testament scholar. He wrote the New Testament, well, he translated the New Testament part of the Bible for everybody. And he is uh, rather amazing, but he's written a whole lot of books. And one of them is called How God Became King. And he talks in there about how Jesus was a political lightning rod. The fact of Jesus and the movement of, of the early Christians was a political movement as much as it was anything else. And we think of that today in terms of partisan politics, because that's how we live. We live in a world where partisan politics is, exists, number one, and number two, where it, it really has kind of overtaken the rest of our lives. There was a time when our politics was um, less central in our minds and more peripheral. It was relegated to the way that we governed things that um, 
were necessary, but were not necessary, necessarily central to our lives. The government was somewhat smaller then. Um, more than that, though, it wasn't just that the government was smaller. It was also that we had other things in our lives that had absorbed our attention that had central roles. Religion was one of those. Um, loving God was one of those things that had a central role in the lives of most Americans for at least the first hundred years of, of the country and probably for a lot longer. Um, but that started to diminish rather greatly during the last century. And that is continuing to diminish at a very rapid rate. And that isn't the only one of the institutions that has taken a bit of a hit over the last several decades. So religion has diminished. Other fraternal organizations have diminished in, in their place in our lives. Um, a lot of the things that we enjoy, so sports used to be something that people came together around and rallied around and shouted for um, that let them kind of step back from politics and find other places to have common ground. There were civic organizations like the Rotary Clubs and the Ruritans and the Optimist Clubs and, and many of these other organizations where you gathered together to do good things in your community and you knew your neighbors. And that's another thing that has sort of gone by the wayside is you had town squares and there were frequently um, town festivals where you would gather, everyone in town would gather and you would get to meet your neighbors and know your neighbors. Um, as cities became bigger and bigger and rural life became not quite so um, connected because we're now connected through all sorts of lovely um, digital ways, we have seen an acceleration in the deterioration of all of those civic ways in which we are organized together. And so politics has become ascendant and it's become something of a blood sport. So when we think of politics and when we say that Jesus is political, um, our instinct is, well, mine as, as a, what I would consider a conservative, would have been at one point in time or another to identify Jesus with the Republican Party um, or the conservative cause. I would, I would have claimed the parts of scripture that told everybody that, you know, we have rights and responsibilities and that we're supposed to take care of ourselves and our families that we're supposed to, um, well, realistically speaking, the more I find I look in the Bible, the less those things are there, but you could always cherry pick something that would fit with the occasion. And were I to be one of my progressive or liberal brethren, um, I would be pointing at other parts of the scripture that talked about feeding the poor, um, rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's and other various things that um, would have appeared out of context that Jesus was supporting socialism or progressivism or liberalism or whatever it was partisan wise that um, I wanted him to be saying in the Bible. And the reality is, is as my friend JD was talking about and as um Professor Wright was speaking of. Jesus was political, not because he was partisan. He was not on the uh, he was he was not on the side of Rome. 
And he was not on the side of the Pharisees against the Sadducees or the Sadducees against the Pharisees. That wasn't it at all. What Jesus was, was the king. Come down from heaven, stepping into the earth and inaugurating the kingdom of God on earth. He came here to bring to a close the 400 years of God's absence in the world, not because he was not present, but because he was not walking with his people, the Israelites, because they had rejected him. So at the end of the Old Testament, um, we have the last word from the prophets. Um, oh gosh, I always get this messed up. I believe it's Malachi is the last of the books um, in the Old Testament. And that is our last um, prophet from the time of the Israelites. And you have the sudden silence that comes. And the last thing that Malachi says in, in the Old Testament is, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And then God goes silent. And his... Glory never returns to the temple in Israel, even though the people of Israel had returned from their exile. Um, God is, is waiting. He's waiting for his perfect timing. And so Jesus comes into the world to inaugurate this new age, to fulfill all of the promises in the Old Testament of the coming king, the coming Messiah, um, David's seed that would remain on the throne forever. The people of God were waiting for him to fulfill all of these promises. And so Jesus comes in fulfillment of this covenant that he had made with the Israelite people. Um, and in, a, in this process, as he fulfills the one covenant, he begins the new covenant that was promised that he would bring restoration to all the nations, not just to Israel, that he would bring the promises of God to all of creation is the picture that we have in the Old Testament. And so that doesn't sound very political. It sounds very religious and very theological and, and very um, divine and maybe not very relevant to our political conversations or our concepts of politics. But when you go back and you look at um, Paul in Romans, where Paul says, I believe it's Romans 10. Um, sorry, I'm looking things up on the fly tonight. So please forgive me if I run a little bit behind myself for just a moment. Um, in Romans 10, it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and we're going to stop right there because we go on with this. And this is part of the whole Roman road, Romans road evangelism. People know this, this verse, right? If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Um, we, we promote this verse to 
people as part of the sinner's prayer, as instigation toward the sinner's prayer, that we need to declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. But we don't really understand a lot of times what does this mean in our context, right? Because we live in the United States of America. We don't have ladies and lords. We don't have kings and queens. We don't have nobility. And we don't have an aristocracy. We have a political class and we have, you know, some other things that are developing in this nation that are not necessarily um, indigenous to it. But the fact of the matter is, is that as, as Americans, the word Lord does not mean the same thing it does to Paul. We don't have the concept really of Lord in our country. And so when we say things like, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and you will be saved, we are thinking of Jesus as our savior rather than Jesus as our Lord in most instances. And even when we're not thinking of him that way, that is how we're describing him because we don't really understand how to describe the concept of Lord. But if you look at this concept in scripture and in the world, what you find is Lord is master, ruler, Jesus was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when his people in those first years after the resurrection declared Jesus is Lord, well, there was another person in town who thought he was God and who thought he was Lord and who thought he was the King of Kings. Caesar was Lord. That is how he was addressed in all of Rome. And for you to call someone else Lord in Rome, not just the city of Rome, but in all of its provinces, in all of its territory, in all of the Roman Empire, if you were to call someone besides Caesar Lord, well, that was an act of treason. That was a political statement. That was very much a call to overthrow the government and would have been looked upon as sedition. So when we look at this and we understand that Jesus by his very nature came as a king, even if it was of a heavenly kingdom. And he came in direct challenge to the Sanhedrin, he came in direct challenge to the Roman Empire. He came in direct challenge to all of the political institutions of the earth. He came to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. He wasn't talking about heaven in the sense of it being a distant place that we would come to one day. He was proclaiming the reality that heaven had come to earth, that God had returned to his people, that the temple was once again filled with the Holy Spirit and God was moving and active to bring about his purposes and his will, that the time had come for one chapter and one age to close and the new age to begin, the inaugurated kingdom of God that had come to come against all of the kingdoms of darkness. That is the picture that we get in Jesus. That is the, um, the changes that we see going on here in this space is that Jesus 
is political, but he's not partisan because he wasn't interested in propping up the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Romans. He got hung on a cross, some say, because one of his disciples expected that he was going to step down off the cross and overthrow the Romans. He was very much disliked by the zealots because he wasn't trying to overthrow the Romans. Because Jesus doesn't take partisan sides in our personal politics. Because he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And there is no one that is equal to him in all of our political maneuvering. That's actually the foundation, by the way, of the American experiment is the notion that there is no human being who is equal to God. And therefore, as individual Christians who are called by God to serve him as he calls us, we should not be subject to an absolute sovereign authority who can dictate to us how we can worship God. That was actually one of the core reasons for people leaving Europe and coming to the new world was to establish spaces where they could follow God's commands as they understood them in their lives to allow them to worship him in spirit and in truth without being interfered with by a king who thought they were God. So as Christians, it's time for us to kind of really look at and understand. And it's funny because this is not what I thought I was talking about tonight. I, I keep coming back to this was supposed to be on, on economy, which is a totally different concept, but it's connected to this. So as we walk in the world as Christians, um, as we build on this concept that we began with, that Jesus is in us and that we are supposed to carry Jesus into the world around us, that we are supposed to bring Jesus to people. One of the other things we are supposed to do is bring Jesus with us into all of our activities, into all of the spheres of our life, into everything that we do. We are to bring Jesus with us. He is supposed to go before us and behind us and in us and through us and around us. It is the, the power and the authority of Jesus that gives us the ability to step into places of utter darkness. I loved that. I, I was reading Augustine earlier for class and, and there was a, a thing in there, a line that said, I had not yet realized that evil was the absence of good until good just ceased to exist. We are called to walk into the places where good does not exist. I did not know that evil is nothing but the removal of good until finally no good remains. We are to carry Christ into the places where no good remains. I think perhaps we're talking politics today because we have come to a place in this country where the halls of political power are frequently a place where no good remains or where it often seems that way. And you and I as Christians are called to carry Jesus into those spaces. We are called to carry Jesus into the places where 
there is anger and bitterness and rage where people are incapable of having conversations about how best to live with one another without causing deep damage and harm to one another. We live in a space right now where good and evil are oftentimes not recognized at all and where we don't know how to exactly explain what it looks like to be good. We live in a place where Jesus is not recognized as Lord, even oftentimes by those who call him that, because we don't know what that means. We have rejected the notion of, of kingly authority. And as such, we have no king and everyone does what is right in our own eyes. Um, it's important for us to stop that. A friend mentioned on the, they, they posted something on Facebook today about how there's usually buffers, that you need buffers and machines um, in order to keep them functioning. You need lubrication and you need ball bearings and you need things that allow for the pieces of a machine to move without catching on one another and creating friction and heat that eventually leads to the breakdown of the machine that it ceases to function. And that America is much the same way that we have ceased to function as a society, that we have been broken as a society because our buffers have broken down. So that comes back to what I was talking about at the beginning of this. Our buffers were things like the church where people came together in Christian love. And when they had disagreements with one another, they spoke to each other in Christian love. They prayed together in Christian love with the expectation. Remember yesterday we talked about expectation with the expectation that the Holy Spirit would show up and give guidance to the conversation that God had a plan for how to move forward in the circumstances that surrounded them at any given point in time. And that that plan would reflect the glory and the grace and the mercy of God. That we as a people, as Christian people, would carry Jesus into the political spaces around us. Whether that is our town hall meetings, whether it is our Facebook conversations, whether it is talking to our neighbor over the back fence or over a cup of coffee, that we would carry Christ into our political conversations. Now, we think of politics as elections and as campaigning and as propaganda. Um, and the reality, that's not what politics is. Politics is how societies organize themselves to live together in harmony with one another. And that consists of all those buffers that we have allowed to fall by the wayside. The things like our sports and our schools and our PTA meetings and our coffee conversations, our book clubs and our civic organizations and our religious organizations, because we've allowed all of those things to either A, fall by the wayside, or we've forgotten that we're supposed to carry Jesus into those and we've allowed them to become heatedly political, heatedly partisan, and that's the difference between Jesus and what we're supposed to be and what our politics look like today, because we have allowed those spaces to become heatedly partisan, 
and we have allowed people to tell us that we're supposed to keep our Jesus out of them, our society is rapidly falling apart. It's reaching a boiling point that is going to create a lot of harm when it finally seizes up and stops functioning completely. I don't know about you, but I'd rather not see that. I am resigned to that possibility because I read my Bible and I know what happens when in large numbers people turn away from God. I know that we have been crying out for awakening and yet I also know that we've not been necessarily doing the things that are necessary for awakening, that there has been a lack of repentance, that there has been a lot of pride in the Christian community across the board. That's not to slap at any one individual. That's not to point my fingers. The fact is we all struggle with that. We struggle with pride. We struggle with pride, not just in ourselves, but in the country. And we struggle with recognizing where something is wrong, where we have where we have failed to meet God's mark, where we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we have a really hard time recognizing that because in the present circumstance, it feels like caving in. It feels like admitting a wrong and letting the other person off the hook. And sometimes it is that, but the reality is God tells us we come to him regardless, that we come in humility and that we come in sorrow and repentance over our sinfulness and our bad behavior. And we trust that he will deal with the consequences of us being honest and true and real and that he will use that humility and even humiliation for the purposes of growing his kingdom and for the purposes of reaching people with the good news of Christ and for the purposes of releasing them from oppression. And this is how we as Christians are supposed to function in the political world that we are in. God put us here, each and every one of us here in this country at this moment in time for a reason. None of us is here by accident. We believe in a God that is sovereign. We believe in a God that plans things out. We believe that we are not accidents. As Christians, these are truths that God has a purpose and a plan for having put us where we are. And primarily that purpose and that plan is to carry Jesus with us wherever we go so that we bring glory to God in all of the things that we do. And in the process of that, when we lift Jesus up, God will draw all men to him. And that means that as we go and bring Jesus into these places and into these conversations without regard to whether or not we're going to look foolish and whether or not we're going to look stupid or weak or whatever people are going to accuse us of being. The fact of the matter is, is when we carry Jesus into those things and we are open to the movement of the Holy Spirit and we bring him into these places, that is how God brings about transformation in the world around us. That is how the disciples in the book of Acts went from 120 people cowering in an upstairs room, terrified, to thousands of people being added at once, and then more people being added daily over and over and over again, to now billions of people on the planet believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
And while here in America, we have a little struggle with understanding what that word Lord means, that is not true of the whole church in other parts of the world. Many of them very much understand what it means to call Jesus Lord in places like China and places like Iran, where that will get them killed. And they understand that that is a political statement. And they make that political statement because they also understand that that is how you carry Jesus into the places where no good remains. And you allow the Lord, our God, to do what we can't. So I'm going to ask you, as we start coming into political season again, which we really shouldn't be because the presidential elections are not until next year, but we're already seeing people moving in that sphere. You're already starting to see people declaring that they're going to run and and all these things and and. Quite frankly, everything news-wise is filled with politics and accusations and, and every topic and every relationship pushes us to draw lines between us and them that revolve around whether we are red or blue, whether we're pa- partisan or um, squishy in the middle or whatever it is, we're being pushed to define ourselves and define other people by their political affiliations, including other Christians and including churches. I would encourage each one of us to remember that Jesus is very much political. He has an interest. He has an interest in how nations are run. All authority comes from God. He has an interest in whether or not it is used well or not. He has an interest in our politics and he has an interest in our partisan politics, but he is not partisan. He does not back one side or the other. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is from him that all power on earth is derived. It is not from the people in Washington or Richmond or the state house of whatever house you happen to be in. It is from God Almighty that all power comes. As we come into this time, carry Jesus into your conversations. When people want to talk politics, talk politics, but talk politics through the lens of the Bible. Talk politics through the authority of Jesus Christ. Talk politics through the love of and the grace and the mercy of God. And persist. Don't run away from it. Because that is the other thing that we keep doing is we decide that because it's messy and it's dirty and it's dark, we're just going to steer clear of it because we don't want to sully the name of God. But as we noted the other day, Jesus touched the lepers. He didn't steer clear of the hard things and he didn't steer clear of the painful things and the things that could make him seem dirty to the world. He dived in and carried the love and the light and the grace of God into the dark places so that they could be clean. So if we really want Washington to be clean and we really want the state houses to be clean and we really want people's hearts to be clean, We need to start bringing Jesus to where the dark is and let him make people clean. Anyway, that is the end of my hmm, thoughts for this evening. 
or God's thoughts that he's given me so far this evening. I will see you all again on Monday, and I pray that the Lord would be with you. Father God, I pray as we step into the world tomorrow, as we come into your houses of worship, that we would have encounters all across the nation with the Holy Spirit, with your living Son. Lord, I pray that each person who professes Christ as Lord would gain an understanding of what that means in their lives and that they would joyfully submit in obedience to his call on them, whatever that may be. I pray, Lord God, that you would break each one of us of our partisan concepts and that you would send us scrambling into your word to see what it says and how we can carry your grace and your love into the world around us to strengthen our institutions of learning, to strengthen our civic institutions, to strengthen our churches. Most importantly, Father, to strengthen our relationships with each other, with our friends and with our family, so that the love that we have toward one another becomes more important than our political persuasions, so that the communities that we love and that we live in, Father God, will be infused with your presence, so that instead of finding impasses and log jams and anger and, and retribution in our political processes, we would once again find a way to dialogue with people who are made in your image and who we are called to love as you have loved us. I pray that you would help each one of us to do that, Father God, that you would give us grace. And Father, I pray that we would find awakening as we continue to seek you in all the areas of our lives. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and by your spirit and all for your honor and glory, Lord. Amen.